The autonomic nervous system contains neurons that are going to send orders or control smooth muscle, cardiac muscle, and glands. And the point of the autonomic nervous system is to make adjustments so the body activities will go fine, the homeostasis will be maintained in terms of heart rate, blood pressure, digestive function, and it's subconscious. We don't, we are not aware of this happening. We cannot control this voluntarily. It's involuntary. And it's also known as the general visceral motor system because, for instance, the way that we make our intestines contract for digestion when we eat our food and digest the food is completely unconscious. We are not aware of that. We cannot control it. It's based on reflexes and uh, control of the autonomic nervous system. Just to remember this division or organization of the nervous system and where this autonomic nervous system fits. We have the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, the two main parts of the nervous system. And from the peripheral nervous system, we have two big divisions, sensory and motor. And from the motor division, we have two big systems, the somatic and the autonomic nervous system. That's where this system fits. And there are two subdivisions of this autonomic nervous system, which are the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So we're gonna describe the functions of each, how they work together, and what are the components, the anatomical components, where we find these neurons and how they connect to each other to make their functions. First, we need to make some differences and compare the autonomic nervous system with the somatic nervous system. And both are motor systems, meaning that they send orders. The somatic nervous system sends orders to the muscles, the skeletal muscle. Autonomic nervous system sends orders to a smooth muscle. Now, the differences are in these three aspects. In relation to the effectors, the pathways and ganglia, meaning where the neurons are. And third, the target organ responses, because these neurons, they work in some different way than the somatic nervous system with different neurotransmitters also. So we're gonna see all these differences and go more to the detail of them. As we said, related to the effectors, Somatic nervous system innervates skeletal muscle. And the autonomic nervous system innervates smooth muscle, cardiac muscle, and glands. That is the first difference in relation to the effectors. Regarding pathways, efferent pathways and ganglia, the somatic nervous system, or SNS, have the neurons in the central nervous system. The cell body of the neurons are in the central nervous system. And the axon extends in the spinal nerve or cranial nerve and straight to the skeletal muscle. 
So the body of the neuron is in the spinal cord, basically, or either in the brain or the spinal cord. But for autonomic nervous system, we have two neurons. It's a chain of two neurons. That is the difference relating to the pathways. The first neuron is called preganglionic, and the second neuron is called postganglionic. Because there is a ganglion, a ganglion that belongs to the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic. And that makes a difference with the somatic nervous system. They don't have a ganglion in the motor pathway. Preganglionic neuron, the cell body is in the central nervous system, say brain or spinal cord. And the, the, the axons are called preganglionic because they are before the ganglion. They make a connection with neurons located in the ganglion. And the neurons in the ganglion are called postganglionic or ganglionic. They are not in the central nervous system, they are outside. And here, these neurons will send at the axons, the axons with other axons called postganglionics to the effector organ. So there's a chain of two neurons. Somatic nervous system is only one neuron, motor neuron, that goes from the spinal cord to the muscle. Autonomic nervous system, there's a chain of two neurons. One in the spinal cord, the second in the ganglion, and then connects to the effector muscle, which is the smooth muscle, perhaps, cardiac muscle or gland. And the neurotransmitters are different. The somatic nervous system handles acetylcholine. All the somatic motor neurons work with this neurotransmitter. And it's always a stimulatory. Difference with the autonomic nervous system, since there are two neurons, the preganglionic axons of the preganglionic neuron release acetylcholine. Postganglionic neurons release norepinephrine or acetylcholine. And the effect may be stimulatory or inhibitory, depending on what type of receptors are found in the effectors. So these are the three differences related to these two systems, somatic and autonomic nervous system. Here we can see um, how they connect, and what we can see here is the difference, somatic nervous system and autonomic nervous system, and how somatic nervous system is just one neuron. The body is in the central nervous system, and the axon connects to skeletal muscle. But in the case of the autonomic nervous system, there are two neurons, one of them in the central nervous system and the second neuron in the ganglion. Now where this ganglion is, it depends if it's parasympathetic or sympathetic, but there's always a ganglion. There are always two neurons in the pathway of the autonomic nervous system. And in the middle, we have a special situation, which is connection of the sympathetic with a gland called adrenal medulla. Adrenal medulla, adrenal gland, produces norepinephrine and epinephrine and is connected to the sympathetic nervous system. So the divisions of the autonomic nervous system are two, 
parasympathetic and sympathetic division. And though all the organs, the visceral organs, they receive connections from both. That's why we call them having dual innervation. Now, these divisions related to the functions, they have opposite functions and opposite effects. That's how the balance, the homeostasis is maintained. When the sympathetic nervous system stimulates increased heart rate, the parasympathetic lowers the heart rate. The parasympathetic division has been described as a system that keeps body energy to the minimum. It controls digestion, diuresis, defecation, and it's been referred as a rest and digest system. Example is a person relaxing and reading after having a meal. That's when the parasympathetic division is working. Blood pressure, heart rate are low. Gastrointestinal activity is high. And related to the eyes, the pupils are constricted and the lenses in the eyes accommodate for close vision. And the sympathetic division, the general description, the effects are mobilization of the body during activity is being referred as a fight or flight system. This system is activated when we are in situations that require quick responses, emergency situations. Those situations activate the sympathetic nervous system. And the general effects are increase heart rate, dry mouth, cold, sweaty skin, and dilated pupils. And in physical activity, the sympathetic division will direct blood to the skeletal muscles and heart, dilate the bronchioles, the respiratory airway, so we can breathe more oxygen, and cause the liver to release glucose, because the muscles will need more glucose during the exercise. So these are, the, in general, the effects of the sympathetic and parasympathetic, uh, parasympathetic divisions. Now we're going to see some more details about each of these systems. Anatomical differences between these two. First, the sites of origins, of origin. The parasympathetic fibers are described as craniosacral because the origin is or either in the cranium, the brain, or in the spinal cord sacral segment. Sympathetic are described as thoracolumbar because the origin is in the spinal cord in the thoracic and lumbar regions. Second difference is related to the length of the fibers. For parasympathetic, the preganglionic fibers are long and the postganglionic fibers are short. Sympathetic is the opposite. Preganglionic fibers are short and postganglionic fibers are long. Third difference, the location of the ganglia. 
for parasympathetic, the ganglia are located near the visceral organ. And sympathetic ganglia are close to the spinal cord. We'll see that in the models now, uh, in this lab models, you can see this ganglia that are right next to the spinal cord. And those are the sympathetic. Parasympathetic ganglia are very close to the organ, say, the wall of the intestines, the wall of the stomach, in relation to the abdominal viscera. In a couple of diagrams, we can see this difference. Parasympathetic and sympathetic, you see the connection here, the sympathetic ganglia, it's all a chain of ganglia right next to the spinal cord. And for the case of the parasympathetic, those connections are very close to the organs. So the ganglia are very close to the organs. In both cases, we can see something else. We can see that there is a chain of two neurons. There's one neuron that's starting in the central nervous system, and the other neuron is in the ganglia. All the differences that we've been stated are described in this diagram. The first, uh, the fibers, the origin of the fibers, brain stem, cranial fibers, and the sacral spinal cord. The second difference, preganglionic fibers are long and postganglionic are short for the parasympathetic. And the ganglia are within or near the effector organs. In the same way, we see these differences in the diagram for the sympathetic nervous system. So let's see more about the parasympathetic division. We said it's called craniosacral division because of the origin of the neurons. Preganglionics are long and they go from the central nervous system to target organs. These ganglia are called terminal ganglia because they are close or within the target organ and the postganglionics are short and they will connect to the effectors which can be smooth muscle, can be glands in the digestive tube. They usually connect to glands related to the digestion process. This is just a separated diagram for just the parasympathetic. You can see that many organs are connected and controlled by this parasympathetic system. In the head, the eyes, salivary glands. In the thorax, heart, lungs, abdomen, stomach, pancreas, liver, gallbladder, urinary bladder, genitals. All the organs, they receive connections from these two divisions. In the head, for instance, the parasympathetic, the cranial division, they start in the brainstem. And the preganglionic fibers preganglionic fibers, they run in some cranial nerves, which are nerves that come from the brainstem and take care of the innervation of the head structures. Cranial nerve number third, number three, to control the smooth muscle of the eye, the pupils control, facial nerve, cranial nerve number seven, stimulate glands in the head, glossopharyngeal, cranial nerve number nine for the salivary glands. And this one is the most important, the vagus nerve or cranial nerve number 10.
because it carries almost 90% of all the parasympathetic fibers that will reach every organ of our body. The sacral division starts in the levels of the spinal cord known as S2, S3, S4. And from there, they go to pelvic organs and the last portion, distal part of the large intestine. We see the cranial nerves in the graph here. These cranial nerves, third, seven, nine, and 10 for the cranial division. Notice that the cranial nerve number 10 is the one that sends this long fiber that is providing fibers for almost every organ. As we said, 90% of the fibers, they go to the rest of the organs of our body. And the lower portion of the spinal cord, the sacral division for the pelvic organs, and the last portion of the large intestine. Now the sympathetic division, sympathetic division is a little more complex, and there are more organs innervated by the sympathetic division. Some of these organs, they just receive sympathetic connection, like sweat glands, erector pili muscle of the hair follicles, the smooth muscle of the blood vessels. Sympathetic is known as the thoracolumbar division because the neurons, the origin, are in the spinal cord segments T1 to L2. And besides, the neurons are located exactly in the gray matter of the spinal cord in what we call the lateral horn of the spinal cord. The graph for sympathetic division, where we can see the presence of the sympathetic ganglia, the chain of ganglia, and with the connections to all organs that we see here, the eyes, skin, salivary glands, lungs, heart, stomach, pancreas, all the way, or pelvic organs even. This sympathetic division has a special types of connections to the ganglia. The preganglionic fibers that originate from the spinal cord, they will get to the sympathetic trunk or chain of ganglia and we'll have different connections, the different uh, patterns of connections. The, this ganglia, also called paravertebral ganglia, they have different size, position, and number. Like there are almost 23 paravertebral ganglia divided in this way, cervical, thoracic, lumbar, sacral, and coccygeal. As I said, we can see it today in the models of spinal cord. And they connect in different ways. You see here in yellow, all these fibers, and let's start from the spinal cord. If you see the spinal cord, you notice that there are two roots 
bringing axons that come out of the spinal cord, the dorsal root and the ventral root. They get together and they form the spinal nerve. But then from the spinal nerve, you see two connections, two small fibers, one gray and the other white. They're actually called gray ramus communicans and white ramus communicans. Because the fibers from the spinal cord, sympathetic fibers, will come through the ventral root and will reach the ganglion, the sympathetic trunk, through these communicans fibers, gray and white. And then continue its way to these fibers that are in front of the, of the vertebral column that represent the nerves that are going to the visceral organs and the thorax and the abdomen. So sympathetic division, when the fibers enter to the ganglion, these preganglionic fibers can go in three different ways. They synapse or connect to the neurons in the ganglion. Or they can ascend to another ganglion, which may be above or below the level of the, that nerve. They may connect to collateral ganglia because there are other ganglia, other ganglia that are in the abdominal and pelvic region that are right next to the organs in this case, but they are not parasympathetic, they are sympathetic. Connections are established through the gray rhema communicants. The gray rhema communicants, they contain non-myelinated fibers, and the white rhema communicants, myelinated. Remember the difference, gray matter, white matter? Well, this is nerves, this is white matter, but it looks gray because it contains non-myelinated fibers. And the white rhema communicants, because the fibers contain myelin. So these fibers will get to the sweat glands, erector pili muscles, smooth muscle of the blood vessels, running through pathways at the level of the head and the thorax. And here we have some of these types of connections of synapses. You see here in the spinal cord, the first neuron, the lateral horn of the spinal cord. And from there, if you follow the, the axon, it will go through the gray and white ramen communicants and will synapse or connect to the second neuron located in the ganglion. And from there, continue its way through the nerves, to the spinal nerves, and in this case, going perhaps to the skin. So we see there the connection of the two neurons, preganglionic, postganglionic. In this other case, the connection is established not at the same level of the ganglion at the same level, but instead, if you follow the axon of the preganglionic neuron, the connection is established in the ganglion, which is above the level of the, of the spinal nerve. And that explains why the sympathetic division is not exactly at the same level of the part of the body, but it can compromise a big area of the skin, for instance.
And the third type of connection for the sympathetic, you see the spinal cord, lateral horn, the preganglionic neuron. And if we follow the axon, it will just go and pass through the ganglion and it will connect to a different ganglion, which is anterior to the spinal cord, and this is called collateral ganglion, which usually are directed their fibers to the abdominal organs, intestines, the stomach, and so on. Now, there's a special case for the adrenal medulla. The adrenal gland is a gland that contains two parts. One of them is the medulla and the other the cortex. The adrenal medulla contains specialized cells that produce and secrete these two substances, epinephrine and norepinephrine. They are connected to sympathetic fibers because they arise from the same tissue, actually. So anytime that the sympathetic nervous system is activated, the adrenal medulla will be stimulated by these fibers and will release, secrete norepinephrine and epinephrine. What are the effects of these two substances? Sympathetic effects, increase heart rate, increase blood pressure. In the autonomic nervous system, there are also, there are also reflexes. In this case, are called visceral reflexes. And that's actually the way that the organs work. Like the esophagus, stomach, intestines. How they contract is we swallow the food. We swallow a piece of food and that food stretches my esophagus. And that is stretching <coughs> is the stimulus. The reflex will go through different sequence of neurons and the response will be contraction. That is autonomic nervous system. It's not voluntary. It's completely automatic, subconscious. And we see the different five components of this type of um, uh, reflex called visceral reflex. We see the stimulus first. The receptor in the viscera, they detect that like the stretching in the wall of the esophagus. Then this visceral neuron, sensory neuron, will bring the signal to the dorsal root ganglion. From there, it will connect to, here, lateral horn, sympathetic neuron. And this neuron will send the order through the red fiber, preganglionic. There will be a connection with the postganglionic and the ganglion. And the postganglionic neuron will send the response to a visceral effector, which can be the smooth muscle of the wall of the intestine. So it's pretty much the same as the somatic reflex, where we see these five components. It's just that the motor response it has two neurons. There's a chain of two neurons. The other thing about the autonomic nervous system are neurotransmitters. We mentioned that neurotransmitters are different in somatic and autonomic nervous system. In autonomic nervous system, the two neurotransmitters are acetylcholine and norepinephrine. Acetylcholine is also used by the somatic nervous system. 
But in the case of the autonomic nervous system, we have acetylcholine released by preganglionic axons, preganglionic axons, and parasympathetic postganglionic axons. Norepinephrine is the other one, which is released by fibers and almost all sympathetic postganglionic, except adosoid glands, which release acetylcholine. Now, this mentioned before may be a stimulatory or inhibitory because depending on the type of receptor that the organs will have, these neurotransmitters will have an effect to stimulate or inhibit the response. And those are receptors that we know as cholinergic or adrenergic. Cholinergic for acetylcholine, adrenergic for norepinephrine. Here in this diagram we see better uh, describe all these neurotransmitters. Somatic nervous system up here, we see the release of the acetylcholine at the connection with the muscle. That's the only one that we have in the somatic nervous system. But the autonomic nervous system, notice that the sympathetic in the ganglion, there is acetylcholine. And in the postganglionic axon, nor epinephrine. For parasympathetic, in the ganglion, acetylcholine. Pause ganglionic, acetylcholine also. So that's how the neurotransmitters are used by each of the systems. Somatic nervous system, just acetylcholine. Sympathetic preganglionic, acetylcholine. Sympathetic postganglionic, nor epinephrine. Parasympathetic preganglionic, acetylcholine, and parasympathetic postganglionic, acetylcholine also. What's the importance of this? The importance of this is if we know these neurotransmitters and the types of receptors, there are many different medications that can be used to regulate the function in each case. And in pharmacology, we get to more details about this, study the different types of receptors that we have and how we can modify the effect. The two types of receptors for acetylcholine, which are called cholinergic receptors, are nicotinic and mascarinic. And the names come from the time that they were described because they mimic effects of the nicotine and uh, the mascarine, which is a poisonous uh, mushroom. And thus they named this receptor nicotinic mascarinic. The nicotinic receptors for acetylcholine, they are found in postganglionic neurons, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And in the skeletal muscle, because that's the one that is used by the somatic nervous system. If acetylcholine connects to or binds to nicotinic receptors, the effect is always a stimulatory. So it's a stimulatory neurotransmitter, the nicotinic receptor. The muscarinic receptor is found in postganglionic fibers. And the effect can be either inhibitory or excitatory. It depends. It depends on the type of receptor. 
There are different types of muscarinic receptors, M1, M2, M3, M4, M5. It depends on how they respond. They are stimulatory or inhibitory. And different organs may have different types of receptors. For instance, the acetylcholine in the cardiac muscle slows the heart rate. But if it binds to the intestinal smooth muscle, it increases the motility because the receptor is different and they respond differently. For adrenergic receptors, the one that binds norepinephrine or epinephrine, the thing is a little bit more complex. There are two types of receptors, alpha and beta. The alpha are divided in alpha 1, alpha 2, and the beta and beta 1, beta 2, beta 3. There are different types of receptors for each. And following the same logics, the effects will depend on the type of receptor that the organ has. For instance, if norepinephrine binds to cardiac muscle that has beta-1 receptors, we will see increase in heart rate. But if this epinephrine binds to beta-2 receptors in the bronchial and the respiratory airways, there will be relaxation of the bronchi of the smooth muscle of the airways. So again, it depends if the norepinephrine or epinephrine binds different receptors is that we'll see the effect. There's long tables, there long tables containing the detailed information about what type of effect is achieved by stimulating beta 1, beta 2, and so on. And that's usually the ones that we have to check when we give medications that are directed to these receptors or use this knowledge for, um, for the effect. Parasympathetic and sympathetic, they interact, they work together, and as we said before, many organs have dual innervation. And they are antagonists. That's the way that they keep the balance. They maintain uh, what we call a tone, sympathetic, parasympathetic tone, meaning that both are working at the same time. It's not that the one is on, the other one is off. They are both working and balancing each other, maintaining a muscular tone like the prime mover and antagonist of the muscle, the skeletal muscles. The thing is that sometimes one of them predominates, depending on what we need to do. And in few cases, we don't see opposition, we see cooperation. We'll see some examples of how this happens. Sympathetic division, for instance, if we see antagonistic interactions, increases the heart rate, respiratory rate, and inhibits digestion. At the same time, the parasympathetic decreases the heart rate, decreases respiratory rate, and allows for digestion and discarding of wastes. Completely antagonist effects. How they work? Well, it depends on what we eat Parasympathetic will work more. Sympathetic will work less, depending on what time of the digestion we are. Blood vessels, smooth muscle of blood vessels, they are innervated by sympathetic fibers, only sympathetic fibers. They don't receive parasympathetic. 
So it depends on how they are, if they are activated or not activated, is that, for instance, the blood pressure will be controlled. But it always, the sympathetic system maintains a tone in the blood vessels that we call vasomotor tone. It's a certain contraction of the smooth muscle all the time that allows the blood to circulate through the blood vessels. And if the blood pressure drops, sympathetic fibers will start firing faster, constrict the blood vessels, and regulate the blood pressure. Parasympathetic usually is predominated in the hard and smooth muscle of digestive and urinary tract organs. Slows down, slows the heart rate, and they also show parasympathetic tone all the time. All these organs are activated to the minimal uh, extent. Sympathetic and parasympathetic can change and one overrides the effect of the other. Now, again, medications are used taking this knowledge and we can change the heart rate, we can change the respiratory rate and all the effects of the sympathetic or parasympathetic. Some of the medications that we use for controllable pressure are called beta blockers like propanolol, atenolol, pendolol. They're called beta blockers because they block re beta receptors. They don't allow the epinephrine, norepinephrine to stimulate the heart and the blood vessels. So the blood pressure is controlled. In some cases we see cooperation, like in the case of the reproductive system. Parasympathetics Fibers cause vasodilation. They are responsible for the erection of the penis. But then the sympathetic are responsible for ejaculation. So we don't see an opposition here. We see a cooperation. As part of the sexual response, erection comes first and then ejaculation. So in erection, parasympathetic is stimulated. For ejaculation, sympathetic. Now, besides there are other roles of the sympathetic that are mentioned here, uh, like regulation of the temperature, temperature by controlling the blood vessels, dilation of the blood vessels, which allows the heat to escape, activates sweat glands. It has action on the kidneys, causing this substance be released by the kidneys in order to increase blood pressure if needed. Someone is in shock or losing a lot of blood or dehydrated, this is activated by the sympathetic nervous system. And metabolic effects, like raising the blood glucose levels. It makes sense. If we have to face an emergency, we need our muscles working very much, we need glucose. So glucose levels are increased by the effect of the sympathetic division. Usually when the sympathetic and parasympathetic effects, uh, systems work, they're very directed to some organ. But in the sympathetic, 
we see sometimes this longer lasting effects with body-wide effects. And that's because norepinephrine, norepinephrine is released at the synapses, but also norepinephrine are produced by the adrenal medulla under sympathetic stimulation. And the adrenal medulla produce norepinephrine and epinephrine, and they are released to the bloodstream. So these will generate effects everywhere, the sympathetic. That's what we call fight or flight. We feel the rush of these substances circulating in our body. We feel like a euphoric sometimes, or very, very active because of the sympathetic effect, norepinephrine, epinephrine. It's not the same with the parasympathetics. Parasympathetic is very localized, usually, at the level of the organs only. Here's a summary of some of the effects of the sympathetic and parasympathetic, just to see how they oppose to each other. And some of them, some of these organs, they have only one of the divisions innervated, like the sweat glands, they have no innervation by the parasympathetic. The adrenal medulla have no innervation by the parasympathetic. The erector pili muscles, they have no innervation by the parasympathetic. But the rest of the, of the organs, they are like the heart muscle, is activated by sympathetic and parasympathetic opposing each other. So you can see decreased heart rate, parasympathetic, increases the heart rate, the sympathetic. And we have a list, long list of functions or effects of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. Now this is involuntary, this is completely subconscious, but there is a control of these two divisions at the central level, and that is given by brainstem, spinal cord, hypothalamus, and also cerebral cortex. But the hypothalamus is the main place where all these autonomic nervous system activity is integrated. So this is the place where this is controlled, actually. But it is at a subconscious level. Limbic system is connected to hypothalamic centers, controlling, helping to control the autonomic nervous system. As we see here in this diagram, we see all the connections. The main integration center is a hypothalamus. This is where everything is integrated. But from here, there are connections to the limbic system and to the cerebral cortex of the frontal lobe. Because at some point we are aware of this. We cannot control it, but we are aware. Like when we feel the rush of adrenaline because of something going on. We are aware of that. But we cannot control it. It's a complete subconscious function. And it's related to emotions a lot. Emotions can make these two systems activate or inactivate. And from here, from hypothalamus, there are also connections to the brainstem. For the brainstem, we have the exit for the cranial nerves, for the eyes, for the tongue, for the throat, and then the spinal cord for the rest of the functions. So that's the overview of the autonomic nervous system. If you have some questions or comments related to this,
Okay, let's take a, a 10 minute break and we'll come back for the lab. There's a handout for today. You can grab a copy here for the spinal cord and nerves.